0: really excited those guys are going to be taking some lessons this year and then they'll be really really good yeah <laughs> yeah no guys they uh, i don't know if you know not every church has amazing musicians like we do so can you tell them thank you it was amazing yeah <laughs> unbelievable yep. Well, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, before we jump into today's message, I want to give just a couple of uh, real quick things, uh, just housekeeping things. One is, if you have kids, uh, we're making a, just a teeny shift today to make uh, the environment for our kids ministry safer physically. And uh, as of today, they're asking that, w- that if you have kids and you drop your kids off in the in the space that you would not bring them with uh, with food. So if you drop your kid off with an iced mocha, you get a pass today, just don't do that next week, right? We're just trying to, with all the allergies that kids have, we're just trying to make that a, as safe an environment as we can, so thanks for doing that. Um, and then I want to tell you just two really quick, uh, two really quick things that um, that you're a part of, and I want to tell you thank you for them. Uh, first is this, last week we had a, a guest, and we have guests every week, uh, who came and brought their daughter, who's a fifth grader in our newly remodeled kids space that's up there, that we, and we're still got more to do on that, but brought their daughter, and um, sent an email to our staff this week and said uh you know i uh wanted you to know that my daughter was there and she told me she said mom that's the first time i've understood what people are saying about god in the bible isn't that cool so uh when you when you give your time when you when you give to the mission of the church that's the kinds of things that you're doing listen it's always about the next generation i don't know if you know that i don't care if you're 80 or if you're eight, it's always about the next generation. And so we're always going to be investing in the next generation. So thank you for doing that. Second thing is this, is that uh, next Sunday, this time, uh, there'll be, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 people from real life, along with, uh, I think, 1,500 or so other runners who will be running the Chicago Marathon for Team World Vision. Team World Vision is one of our partners in, in mission. And they provide clean water for, uh, for kids around the world who don't have access to clean drinking water. And so they're going to be running, and you'll have a chance later today if you want to donate 50, get this, $50 changes a kid's life for the rest of their life and gives them clean drinking water for life. Um, you can make a massive difference. So they're, they're, in, they're in here today, and we're super proud of them. I'm going to have them stand up. They're wearing their jerseys, a lot of them are. Uh, so if you're a Team World Vision runner, would you stand up? Let us cheer you on for a second. Yeah, we're proud of you. There you go. There to go, up in the balcony. Yeah. We're super, we're super proud of you for taking something that you do and making a difference with it in Jesus' name. So thank you so much. You guys can have a, have a seat. Uh, well, today what I want to do is uh, as we wrap up this series on a, a supernatural life as we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew in uh, 2016, uh, I want to I talk to you about what Jesus says in, in this passage in Matthew chapter 9, and, and it's about this. It's that you would not spend your life on the wrong thing. Uh, some of you know that at, at the close of the service, I go back to my office and and put my Bible away, and, and uh, at my door, when I walk in, there's a big bucket of marbles, and a couple of years ago, I, I used this illustration, I went and bought marbles, uh, one for every week that the actuarial table said that I had left in my life, and uh, so what I do is, because my week ends on Sunday, is I, when I'm done here, I walk, I get one of those marbles, and then I have another jar on my desk, and I take that marble, and I put it in the I put it in that jar, and what I, it's a prayer for me, and I say, okay, God, I've spent this week. I can't get it back, and I'm praying that as I've done my best to invest my time, that you do something with it in someone's life, and it's become like a, like a, kind of a spiritual discipline for me to do that, because here's what I've realized. You're always spending your life on something. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to get to the end of your life and find out you spent on the wrong thing? So I want to talk to you about that today, about how to spend your life on the, uh, not spend your life on the wrong thing. Now, who who gets to decide what that is? Well, we say that Jesus, Jesus is the judge. In the end, he's going to judge the whole mess. And what we understand is that when you give your life to Jesus, you give up your right to judge things and people. And you even give up your right to say what is and isn't important. And so you say when you follow Jesus, listen, I'm going to spend my life doing what Jesus says is important. Even if no one understands why or gets it. That's what my life's gonna be about. And so, what we've been doing for the last, uh, for the last several months and, and these last several weeks as we've been in this series is learning how to do everything that Jesus did, specifically related to the supernatural. We've talked about healing and we've talked about demons. And what we've said is listen, you, we're not talking about being weird, um, we're not talking about doing things that are odd. We're just talking about naturally being involved in the healing ministry of Jesus. And so we've, if you've been here, we've been talking about that. And we've even we've prayed every week for people to be healed. We've seen some people uh, healed. I'll tell you a, another story about uh, someone healed this week. Um, but then we've also talked about deliverance and how that there are, there's a force of evil. There are demons that want to hurt and harm us. And that we, in Jesus' name, can help to deliver people. Uh, and so we've talked about that. I know that's stre- this has been a stretching uh, series for many of you, many of us. And uh, we even had on, on this earlier this week, someone came into the office, and I won't go into the details of it, but all the things that the New Testament talks about, how Jesus set people free from evil, um, happened in our office. Um, it was, uh, I'm not going to go into the details because the, the details are irrelevant. What's important is that you know that Jesus set someone free. And you can be a part of that. So you're part of the deliverance ministry of Jesus and the healing ministry of Jesus. And and all we're trying to do is just do what Jesus did, right? That's what it means to follow Jesus. You just do what Jesus did. And and here's what I know. If you take what Jesus said to do and you actually put it into practice, it will create every single time you do it a revolution in a good way in your life. I'll give you two examples. Uh, you might say i'm going to take jesus at his word that forgiving people is better and so you decide that anytime anyone hurts you or does something that you disagree with or don't like or is offensive to you you're just going to out of the gate forgive them so you see someone that says something to you at work and they send you that email or someone in your household or someone posts something on facebook you're not going to get mad you're not going to retaliate what you've decided to do is that, okay, I may feel all these things, but my choice is to do what Jesus said is best, and I'm going to forgive. I promise you if you do that, it will be a revolution in your life. Because whenever you put into practice anything that Jesus said to do, always results in a revolution in your life. Let's just say you, you took it on you and you said, well, Jesus says that we're supposed to care for the least of these, the poor, the people who, have no, or have, uh, who are oppressed, who, are, who have no justice for them. And so you would say, I'm going to do something about that. I promise you, if you begin to put that in practice, it will result in a revolution in your life. Same could be true of giving money. If you just anytime you put into practice what Jesus said is best, you will always encounter a revolution in your life. Now, if you don't, if you just learn about the things that Jesus said are best, here's what is going to happen in your life: nothing. Zip. Uh, but when you do it, it's actually, a re- it's actually a revolution. And when you learn about what Jesus did and you don't apply it, that's not following Jesus. That's becoming a student of ancient documents. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You can get a, go get a degree in that. Congratulations. But what Jesus said, it's even worse than that. He said, when you hear, Jesus said in Matthew 7, when you hear the words that I say and you don't put them into practice, you're like a man who went and built the foundation of his house on sand. And when the rains come and when the winds come, in other words, Jesus says, when the storms of life come, and they're a-coming, your house will fall over because you will have no foundation. So we're, we're saying, okay, we want to spend our life on the things that Jesus says is important, and we want to do the things that Jesus said that we can do, including the supernatural. So here's the thing that Jesus says as he sums up this whole section on, on, on the supernatural, is what Jesus wants us to spend our life on is on the harvest, I want, to read that. I want us to read together that passage of scripture again. We're going to put it on the screen for you. I'd like for you, with a full voice, the 9 o'clock was just like, <laughs> so we're not going to do that. So you're going to, with a loud voice, we're going to read this out loud together. You ready? Here we go. Matthew 9, uh, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, here's what I know about the harvest. Mike mentioned that we didn't even plan talking about that but he mentioned how he grew up around farms the harvest is the point of the farm uh, that's why on a farm you're going to find buildings and outbuildings and barns that's why there are silos that's why uh, there are combines and tractors and john Deere's and internationals and kate yeah, all those things exist well that's why there's even a farmer Uh, they all of those things are there uh, for the harvest and if you wanted to if you wanted to ruin a farmer what you could do is ruin the harvest because here's what a farmer's whole life is targeted in on his whole his whole life is targeted in on the harvest it's it determines what time he gets up in the morning and it's usually a he i'm not being sexist you know there are some women farmers right more power to you it's why, uh, why he spends the money, why she spends the money that they do, uh, because they're focused on the harvest. It's why uh, they spend their time the way that they do. I had, uh, my mom grew up on a farm in southeastern Arkansas, and where they raise rice, rats, and beans, and soybeans. And uh, I used to go visit, because my uh, mom's other sister and her husband took over her, her dad's farm there in southeast Arkansas, and uh, I remember I would go, and we would be ready to go into town to do something because when you live in the country, you go into town. It's great. And so uh, we'd go into town, and Uncle Caleb would say, "You know, I can't because I gotta go do the." And he would list some chore he had to go do. All of his time was determined by the harvest. It determined what hobbies that he, that a farmer has. I guarantee you, there are not farmers who travel every other weekend. There's nothing wrong with traveling every other week, but. They say the harvest is too important to go do that, so they don't go do that. Everything that they do is dictated by the harvest. And and now here's the worst possible thing that could happen to a farmer. Have no harvest. Now, it'd be a dumb farmer who spent their time on something that didn't increase the uh, the harvest. So it'd be a dumb farmer who built a bigger barn when they didn't need to. But it'd also be a dumb farmer who didn't build a bigger barn when he did need to so he could store more grain. It'd be a dumb farmer who went out and bought a a $250,000 uh, a tractor my, my wife's dad for 30 years worked for John Deere building big huge tractors and the last time we were back at uh, her, her um, hometown we went to the, the museum there and um, they show all the tractors from John Deere and you can see all the things and then they they have the one that just came out I mean you go up in the tractor and um, it's got a DVD player it's got a fridge it's got a GPS. I'm not kidding about it. Like, they literally push a button, boop, and they turn on Netflix, right? It's <laughs> like what happens in the, in the thing. It's amazing. Uh, but, the, the, but if that farmer said, oh, I'm going to go buy that just because, well, that'd be a dumb farmer. But by the same token, if that farmer realized that the yield of his harvest could go up because he's got a better better equipment, then he'd be a dumb farmer not to make that investment, right? Because they make all of their decisions on how it affects the harvest. They don't want to spend their time on the wrong things. Now, this is what Jesus says right here. He says that it's the same for you and me, except he says that the harvest is different. The harvest is people. And the worst possible thing that could happen to you and I as followers of Jesus or could happen to any church is that there wouldn't be a harvest, right? They would spend our time on the wrong things, and there'd be no harvest of people. There'd be none of that. Because here's what the church is. The church is a farming family who uses barns and tractors and tools For the sake of the harvest. That's why we do everything that we do. For the sake of the harvest. Now Jesus says that the harvest is people. And this is how he understands that people struggle in their life. He said uh, he would see the people and he would say they were harassed and they were helpless. Uh, The word there means that they were torn or they were thrown down. In other words, they've had things happen to them in their life in the past that they've never gotten over either things happened to them or choices that they made and they're still defining and driving their motives and their behaviors in a sense that they're all torn up on the inside and so they they pretend sometimes or they hide or they cover or they're shiver or they're alone or they're addicted or something's going on and the reason is they're harassed and helpless they don't know what to do and so jesus uses this metaphor he says they're like sheep without a shepherd now we don't we don't have sheep uh, we don't have shepherds, but the idea is that if you don't have a shepherd, you're in danger of getting attacked by wild animals, or a sheep can just wander off and be lost. Maybe a better fo- metaphor for us might be um, a child whose parents have abandoned them. Uh, when my uh, my youngest, my middle son, Corbin, was uh, a toddler, um, one Sunday afternoon, my wife and I decided to go to a festival. Uh, it was a food festival. I love food, and I love ethnic food, and this was an ethnic food festival, so it's like I was in heaven. And so um, I'm a little focused on the food, and uh, my older, our older son went with some friends for the afternoon to play, and so we had two little strollers. I was pushing Corbin, uh, who was about two and a half or three, and my wife was pushing Carrington, who was a baby, and we're walking through this food festival, and now Corbin, uh, when he was that age, he couldn't say his consonants, and so we got to where we could speak. We called it Corbinese, and he would say, which would be I want to go to the store, and he would say things, you know, like to people. He'd go, uh, 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 uh. you know, we. They would look at us like, what? And he wants to get down right now, and so, uh, so, so we're we're driving, we're going through the thing, and he turns to me a couple times. He's all buckled in, like you're supposed to do. A good parent does when you you, tra- you, you trap them in the, the seat, right? So they can't get out, and he's buckled in right there, and he turns around, and sticks his head like kids do, and he says, ah. Which I knew, man, I want to get out. And I said, no, buddy, we're we're riding this. I want to get out. And so I realized he's gonna be there for a long time. So I I unbuckle and I let him out. I walk, he walks around for a minute, and he gets back in. And then guess who forgot to buckle him back in? Right? You know where this story's going. So we uh, we head off, we go down the the path. I'm joined, I'm in, coming in food heaven, and I'm you know distracted by all that. And uh, about five or I don't know how long, five or ten minutes later, my wife looks down. She's pushing the baby in the baby stroller. She looks down at my empty stroller <laughs> and says, where's Corbin? I mean, you know, you know, if a parent you've ever done something like that, I mean, I know you're not as dumb as me, but uh, you, you, if you've ever done something like that, oh, it was, a, I mean, an pa- utter panic for ten minutes. But when he came back to us, I, I still to this day have never been hugged that tightly by one of my kids. Because he felt in his body like he was abandoned. Right? Here's what Jesus is saying. This is how people are feeling all the time. They, they, don't, they, they put on the face because they're an adult, right? I got an adult up. But they, inside, they're like, I just feel abandoned. I, just feel, I don't know what to do. I'm harassed and I'm helpless. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Jesus says this is the majority of human beings. And so Jesus had compassion on them. And he said, now listen, when you're thinking in the way I think about things, that's what I call the harvest. And there's plenty of people that are in that scenario. But, Jesus said, the workers that will go collect that harvest, the farmers who will work the farm, they're few. So you've got to ask the Lord of the harvest then to send workers into the harvest field. So, so we have to do what Jesus did in order to get the harvest so what did Jesus do? I want to talk to you about that real, real briefly, and then I want to tell you something that we're doing as a church to prepare uh, to collect the harvest. Here's what Jesus did. I'll, I'll call them uh, the actions of, this, of a spiritual harvest. Um, the, the scripture says that what he did is he, he taught the, in their synagogues, in their religious settings, and he proclaimed the good news of God's kingdom, that God's near to you, that God loves you, God's available to you. And that he healed every disease and sickness and that he had the compassion on these people who were harassed and they were helpless. These are the actions of a spiritual harvest. I think a a better way just is to simply say these words like this is that the actions of spiritual harvest are you show, you tell, you heal, and you feel. You show, you tell, you heal, and you feel. Here's what Jesus did uh, when he show. He taught. Well, we think about teaching as passing on information. When Jesus taught, he was passing on how to do something. He was passing on his life and saying, this is how you do this. And what I've found is that whenever you're doing anything, you can teach anybody. My 8-year-old, Corbin now, uh, teaches me things all the time. And the reason he can teach me things is because he's doing them. Dad, I do this, and this is how I do it. This is how you can do it. An 8-year-old can teach something because he's doing it. And so Jesus was doing the stuff, right? He's going out. He's healing the sick. He's forgiving people. And he's like, this is how you live the kind of life that I'm going to show you how to do it. My experience has been that for many Christians, the reason they're afraid to show someone else how to do what Jesus did is because they're not actually doing it, because you can't teach something you're not doing. That doesn't mean you have to do it perfectly, it just means that you pass on what you know. So you might be learning how to forgive, and you find someone in a conversation, a friend at work, or someone that you uh, are close to, and they're talking about how mad they are at somebody, and you just say, hey, listen, this is what I'm learning, I figured out that I'm going to just choose to forgive somebody and I figured out that when I don't forgive, I get bitter and it's like I take a poison pill waiting for the other person to die and I've decided not to do that. Maybe you could try that too and just forgive them and let them, let them not take up rent space in your head. You don't have to have all I figured out. You just help, you show them what you're doing. Because see, this is, the whole thing is an apprenticeship model, right? This is a whole, our whole culture is built on apprenticeship around here, right? You learn how to do someone, someone shows you how to do it, and you end up being a master of it. So one of the things Jesus did, he just showed people how to live a different way. But then what he also did is he told people uh, about the kingdom of God. He told people what God has done. Now this, what this means is that at some point you're going to have to use your words and tell someone what God has done for you. Have you ever heard of an elevator speech? They talk about this in marketing or in sales. They say that if you're in, if you were to get in the elevator with with a decision maker on the thing you need a decision made, you need to have what you would say to that person in the ride from the floor they're on to the floor they get off. Like you have 30 seconds. What if you developed an elevator speech about what God had done in your life, right? And any time you could just say, oh, well, God's done this in my life, and he took me from this, and he's changed me into that, and it's just like really cool. I'm really glad that God, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about you go up to someone at Meyer while they're at the milk, and you don't know them, and you go, hello, I'm here to tell you about what God's done in my life. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm just saying you're, you're, you're going to tell them what God has done in your life. I'll give you a really simple way if you struggle with that, that someone told me once, and it really, it helps me someone wants to know what God's, God's done in your life, uh, religion is spelled like this. Religion is spelled D-O, do. It's what you do to earn God's love and favor. And many people think that's what God's all about. You got to do something. Christianity, the message of Jesus is spelled like this, D-O-N-E. It's what God has done for you. You don't have anything in way to earn God's love. It's already done for you. I mean, it's a real simple way. You know, it doesn't be complicated. You just tell someone about the good news of God's kingdom. You see, this is show and tell. Remember that in elementary school, show and tell? You'd bring the thing in, and you'd show it, and then you'd tell about it, right? It's, like, not complicated. It's that simple. And then Jesus would heal the sick. Now, we've been talking about that, we've been talking about praying for the sick, and I hope you'll do what I've been on the journey of for the last eight years and saying, you know what, I could be part of that supernatural ministry of Jesus, not in a weird way, not in a way that makes people uncomfortable, not where I have to wear a white suit and have weird hair and be on television at late at night, but just naturally pray for someone rich evans who's our family ministry pastor was at the gym this week and just the guy he was building a relationship with was talking about his shoulder and like when you go to the gym guys would be like oh i hurt my shoulder and And his guy's shoulder got hurt and rich just in the context of their relationship because he said that he said hey you know what i i, I know this might be weird but I, I pray for people when they're hurting would it be okay if i prayed for your shoulder and he just very simply asked god to heal the guy's shoulder the next day he came back to the gym and the guy went to him and he said hey i don't know what you did but I haven't been able to do a bench press with much weight for months, and all of a sudden, I can. Now, you may go, well, that's a preacher story. No, I'm just telling you, <laughs> that's what happened, right? That's like actually what happened. And Jesus was a, Jesus, that's part of, that's part of the spiritual harvest, is you, you go and say, God wants you to be well, heal people. Um, Then this is the last one though Is that you have to have this one Or you'll never be part of the spiritual harvest And I promise you'll spend your life on the wrong thing This is the key Is you have to feel something for the needs of people Jesus, the word there was Jesus had compassion Now we think of that and we go Oh, you know, you feel really nice for those poor people over. No, no, the word compassion means to have your guts ripped out To feel something so deeply It's like, oh, that's the word My guts are ripped out, I gotta do something about that I I remember vividly, I was probably 10 10 or 12 years ago, there was a campaign that came out. It's called the One Campaign. And it was a a grassroots movement of of people from all walks of life, movie stars to uh, pastors to politicians to to alleviate global poverty, the people who live on $1 a day, the several billion people who live on $1 a day around the globe. And I I remember going on the the website and I remember watching this video and it was of two uh, boys in Africa. Now, I have a tie to Africa because I was born there as a missionary child. But uh, I, I saw these two little boys, probably six and four, and the six-year-old was telling the story about how their mom and their dad died. And then as he's telling the story, he breaks down in tears. When he breaks down in tears, the little four-year-old boy next to him just devolves into absolute sobbing. And it hit me. I went, because we I, think, I think at that point we were just getting ready to have our first child. I went, my, I mean, my guts were ripped out. It's like, that cannot happen. I, gotta, I, mean, I, remember, I, I still to this day can feel the emotion of that. I, that on my watch cannot happen. I have to do something about that. I'm telling you that's why people are running for Team World Vision. See, y- so you, you got to feel that. De- i got to ask you a question. Do you feel the needs of people so deeply that it rips your guts out? If it doesn't, you'll, ne- you'll never spend your life on the right things. I'm telling you right now. You'll spend your life, you'll go, well, I got more important things to do. I got other things to spend my money on. I got other things to spend my time on. I can't be part of that. I'll just be religious one day a week. You'll never do it if you don't feel the needs and you see that people are harassed and helpless and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And if you don't feel that, you're, you'll never do what Jesus did. You'll never do it. Jesus felt it. Felt the needs of people. Let me tell you um, something that we're doing as a church uh, to help us prepare uh, to cut, to bring in the harvest um and we've we've been working on this behind the scenes and haven't really talked about it uh, because i'd rather begin doing it before we talk about it and um if you've been around you've heard us talk about how we want to be a church that reaches the the one percent we want to in our two counties there's six hundred and fifty thousand, and we want one or two percent of those people that don't know god that are harassed and are helpless and are like sheep without a shepherd we want to tell those people about the love of god and help them to begin to follow jesus and that, I mean, that equates to something like, you know, several thousand people, 8,000 people, something like that. And you may have heard me say that, and you've gone like, well, so how are you going to do that? There's a, a story in um, Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, and uh, in Acts chapter 2 it's called the Day of Pentecost. And um, one of the apostles, Peter, was preaching, and that day 3,000 people it says, were converted, were added to God's family that day. And I've always read that and thought, man, wow, that I mean, must be amazing. I mean, did they have a great band? Was Peter really on that day? I mean, what, what happened that made that happen? Wow, I'd like to be a part of that. And I always thought it was like you, you had some kind of event like this, and this is what converted people. And, and um, then I started to read and understand how the culture worked at that day. Unlike us, the, the basic unit that everyone attached themselves to in that day was kind of an extended family. If you think about your family at Thanksgiving, if it happens for you, where you've kind of got aunts and uncles and, you know, so-and-so's girlfriend is there and grandma. And you've know, you got this extent 20 people, 25 people, maybe 50 people, depending on the size of your family. That was just kind of how everybody lived. And you would live together in one house and you would share one business. And it's how you supported each other. It's how you, when someone was sick, how the children got raised. This was just the basic social unit of the day. And those, those extended families that are called an oikos. That's why you go to the store and you, re- you buy oikos yogurt. Um, is because it's the, the word for household. And you would live in this household, and that household was led by a patriarch, a man, or a matriarch, a woman. And they would make all the decisions for that household. And so what I realized, what happened was that if you do the math on 3,000 people who were added to the church that day, that equates to something like 50 or 60 heads of households that those disciples I'm sure had a relationship with and were telling them about the kingdom of God, and this wasn't the first time they'd heard about the kingdom of God, and so they showed up that day, and that was their day. They were like, listen, this is it. This is our, this is our day. This is what our family's going to do, and that day, 50 households, 50 extended families were added to God's family. Now, well, that was like a click for me. I went, oh, okay, so it's not about having this thing that you attract everyone to. It's about equipping leaders of extended families who have a specific mission. They have a heartbeat for some part of the harvest. Oh, I get it. And when you do the math, that's like 200 people. That's like 200 leaders. So we've been in this process of of these things called huddles, so we're developing leaders, and we're trying to help people figure out what's the thing, what's the part of the harvest that you need to go collect, and how can you build an extended family? Here's what I know about people today. We're so fragmented we're so individualized, we're so lonely as a culture, all the data, all the studies say the same thing, that we're wealthy, we're well off, we're doing fine, but we're dying on the inside. We want to belong to an extended family. We want to have people who miss us when we're gone and look out for us. And it's such a hunger that we'll, we'll do things that are wrong, we'll do things that are bad for us, just so that we can belong. Because we want to belong. People who want this, we're dying for this. So we're just saying, okay, well, maybe there's 200 leaders who could help. We could help them learn how to follow Jesus in a way they could reproduce for other people. And then we could say, what's the thing that God's put on your heart, and how can we help you do it? Because what many people think of the church, they think the church is a machine. So when the church is a machine, they go, okay, well, you hire a guy like you and some staff, and you tell us all the great ideas, And then if we like them enough, then we'll go do them. If we don't, we'll go, I don't like that. That's a dumb idea. Uh, And and then all the energy has to come from the, the few people on staff or the leaders or volunteer leaders or whatever. The church is not a machine, though. The church is a movement. And in a movement, what you do is you build the leaders and you say, what's the part of the harvest that God's called you to reach? That's why on Thursday nights, there's a group called Relationship Matters. Their mission is to put relationships back together. And they're a family, they're an extended-sized family that does that. That's why there's a Portage Community Garden. They're like an extended family that does that, they have a mission. But listen, the harvest is ripe, right? Drive, drive around the fields, and you see the harvest is ripe. It's there. It's waiting. There are people who are harassed. There are people who are helpless. There are people who are like sheep without a shepherd. There are people who have been abandoned, who are orphans. And they need someone who will come and say, I can show you how. Let me tell you what god's done but you know god wants you well but you know and you feel it in your bones and you say i've got to do something not on my watch on my watch these people are not gonna they're not gonna just drift off to new eternity with not without knowing that so we're gonna do what jesus said to do he said to ask then the lord of the harvest to send out workers into it so, so we're, we're just gonna do that right now so here's what i'd like you to do Because I. I I don't want you to spend your life on the wrong things. If this has just pricked you, okay, and and you might this might be something that you're already doing, or you just go, okay, I I think I'm maybe spending my life on the wrong things, or I I need to go a different direction with my life. I'm just gonna ask you right now. uh, I'm gonna ask you to stand right now, if you would. um, But I'm gonna ask you as you're standing just to come down here. You're not saying that you're signing up to work in the nursery. Uh, You might. I don't know. You're simply saying I want to be a part of the harvest. I want to be one of those people. I don't know how that all work. I don't have that all figured. I just I'm willing to spend my life on that. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to come down here. I'm going to pray for you. This is not an emotional thing. This is just a thing where you say I want to be about that. And we're going to pray. You might be scared. That's okay you to come down we don't always do this but and if it makes you awkward next to the person you don't know no don't do it that's cool but just grab someone's hand would you let me pray for us okay um god this is a moment for us this is a a watershed moment for us We don't want to be a church that doesn't have a harvest. And we don't want to be a church that does things that just don't even matter. We want to be a church that does what you says and has full of people who do what you say. We want to be people whose hearts are broken by the needs of people who have our guts ripped out. We're vulnerable enough to let that happen. So God, I pray uh, today for these people who've, who've come forward, who want to be a part of the harvest. They want to spend their life on the right things. As they go to sleep every night this week, I pray you'd plant in them dreams and visions about how you want to use their life, of the specific harvest th- that you have for them to bring in, names of people, situations, networks they're a part of. Lord, I pray that as they wake up in the morning, that they would wake up with a sense that... Uh, that their life is about something now. That they can go through the rest of their life not just being religious every now and again, but really being a part of your harvest. Lord, I pray for the people who aren't standing here uh, that you love so much. And for the people, person who's standing there was too scared. They didn't know what it means or they're not sure what they're committing to. They just God, help them to see th- that always we stand in front of you. Always we make our choices in front of you. Always we stand under your love and your care. So God, now take us and uh, turn us into a bunch of workers who collect the harvest, who show, who tell, who heal, who feel. We pray this in your son's name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. You're sent out to love God, love people, serve the world. Hug, hug somebody, tell me you love them. See ya.